Greetings, friends and brethren, and welcome to Behind the Work 2021, Preparing to Instruct Many. There's a lot of things happening behind the scenes in the Continuing Church of God. I've talked about short work in the past. I've talked about instructing many in the past. But I want to put some stuff together so you better understand what we've been doing and why we've been doing it. And some things that are essentially unique about what's been going on in the Continuing Church of God, why we're different from many other groups. We're going to look into scriptures, as well as what we've been doing, as well as some writings from other Church of God, uh, some of which I was a part of. When the term short work is mentioned by Christians, it's usually a reference to a passage in the book of Romans. And Paul wrote about this, so I want to go to Romans chapter uh, 9. I'm going to start in verse 25. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and their her beloved who is not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it said to them, You are not my people, they shall be called the sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he, that's God, will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work on the, upon the earth. That's from the New King James Version of, of the Bible. I'd like to also read verse 28 from a Roman Catholic translation, the Dewey Rames Shalinor Version. For he shall finish his word and cut it short in justice, because a short word shall the Lord make upon the earth. Now, this time of short work or short word precedes a time of destruction. You can see that if you continue verse 29 of Romans uh, 9. And as far as a short word or short work, I'd like to read Mark 4.14. Jesus said, the sower is the word. So the short work has to do with sowing the word. And according to John 17, 17, God's word is truth. So it's a work of spreading truth that God has planned and will cut short. Now, is there shortness connected with any other part of the work in the New Testament? Well, let's go to Matthew 24. Notice what Jesus said was going to happen. We're going to start in verse 14. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there shall be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Notice that the love of many will grow cold. They won't care enough about sacrificing going through the open door. 
most will not realize that the end cannot come and Matthew 24, 14 cannot be fulfilled until some of the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Let's go to Romans 11, verse 25. Paul writes, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The Gentiles, who God will call in this age, must come in. Hence, planting the seeds for that is part of the short work. Now, we're going to see something else that Paul wrote. We're going to go to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, cutting in the end of verse 14, says, Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. Now, many today, instead of forbidding it like the Jews, basically downplay or ridicule reaching Gentiles in places like Africa. But they don't seem to understand the Bible teaches that we must instruct many, including Gentiles. Most Christians are not to, going to be Philadelphian in the end time before the start of the Great Tribulation. Most Christians don't have the same zeal or love of the truth and proclaiming it like they should. Even though, we go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, we read, let brotherly love, or let Philadelphia continue. Jesus noted that there were going to be Laodiceans after the Philadelphians. They couldn't see the problems they had, and they had the wrong work. You can read about that in Revelation 3, verses 14 through 18. Now, Matthew 24, 14 ties a successful proclamation with the coming of the end. There's a certain shortness associated with the passages that we read in Matthew 24. Now currently, while many churches of God, including the continuing church of God, have records indicating that we've reached millions, I'm not aware of any group that's reached billions in any uh, major way. Billions, however, are going to be reached, directly or indirectly, this will happen during the final phase of the work. But more specifically, particularly during the time of the short work. Now some with a long-time Church of God background, as well as others, might be interested in seeing some of what the late Pastor General of the old Worldwide Church of God, Herbert W. Armstrong, taught about this kind of thing. Here's something he wrote about the short work of Romans 9.28 in a co-worker letter of July 29.1968. Just as Jesus said God will short, cut short the days of the Great Tribulation, so he tells us through the Apostle Paul, he will cut short this work. Listen, read it carefully, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Romans 9.28. This is God's doing, not mine. You are privileged, as well as I, to have a part in it. We need to dedicate ourselves to it as the most important thing in our lives. 
Now I'd like to read something he wrote in 1979. This is in a letter dated October 26, 1979. God was holding up world events in Satan's world to give his church more time to finish the work and be prepared ourselves for his coming. But now many evidences are appearing that prophesied world events are ready to move swiftly, bringing on the day of the Lord in Christ's divine interference preparing for his coming, Jesus has said he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because short work will the Lord make upon the earth. We'll have Paul said that. But just. And on, in a, news, in a uh, co-worker letter, November 9, 1979, Herbert Armstrong also wrote, Almighty God has been holding back the progress of prophesied world events there is a time foretold in Revelation 7 when he will do this again. But then again, he will f finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. So in 1979, he knew that a short work would later happen, but he felt that back then it was being held up. He seemed to have a similar view in 1983, I'm going to read uh, something from a transcript of a sermon that he gave on July 30th of uh, that year, 1983. God has delayed certain events, but he says he will make a short work and cut it short suddenly. Jesus gave us the expression of how it will come when it's least expected. And like a rat getting caught in a trap that snaps, or doesn't even know it until it's caught. And that's how suddenly things are going to happen very, very soon. How much longer God will delay before he does that, I don't know. Well, yes, there was a delay. And the delay continued on for decades after Herbert Armstrong died. And Jesus warned that many, including Christians, would not expect what would be happening. And he warned that we need to pray to be counted worthy in Luke 21, verse 34 to 36. Oh, couldn't be counted worthy also include something to do with us being prepared or preparation? In a letter dated October 18, 1983, Herbert Armstrong wrote, I feel God will move swiftly soon to make a short work preparatory to, God, to Christ's coming. And the short work most definitely involves preparation now. This is part of why more materials, literature, articles, books, bookless websites are being developed or being added to in the continuing Church of God. Now, in his last letter, dated January 10th, 1986, Herbert Armstrong wrote, The greatest work lies ahead. Never before in the history of the church has it been possible to reap so great a harvest. It's only been made possible through modern technology, beginning with the printing press, radio, television. Each of you must commit yourselves to support God's work. God's work must push ahead as never before. God is opening up new doors in television. Well, presuming he was correct, the greatest work lied ahead. That's consistent with having more that needs to happen for the fulfillment of Matthew 24, 14. New doors like internet television have been opened in the 21st century. And we in the continuing Church of God are using things from the printing press and uh, radio. Now, now, Dale Schurter was a former Worldwide Church of God minister who I met. 
He reported that uh, Herbert Armstrong said some certain things in 1984-1985. And Herbert Armstrong died in January of 86. So I'm going to read a couple different accounts of this. A few months before Mr. Armstrong's death, my wife and I had the opportunity to spend several hours with Mr. Armstrong in his home in Pasadena. He spoke freely of the mighty work God had commissioned him to accomplish and related certain heartfelt comments. I can say that I've finished the work God has given me to do, and I'm at peace about it. I have preached and taken the gospel of the kingdom of God, and all the world is witness to all nations. Mr. Armstrong went on to say, I've come to realize there will be an even greater work to follow, to go again, to prophesy again, to all nations, tongues, peoples, Revelation 10:11, before the work of the two witnesses, but with more power and with a stronger warning message. But that will be for others to do. He continued, it will be a short work, Romans 9, 27-29, compared to the longer time to complete the work I was given, and it will be cut short. That's when the Great Tribulation will begin, as will the work of the two witnesses. These will last three and a half years. At the end, Christ will return in glory. So you notice, Herbert Armstrong said a greater work was going to happen, involving various languages, etc. We in the Continuing Church of God have been working on that. Now, let's go back to uh, uh, Dale Sherber. Here's another account that he gave of this. When Mr. Armstrong was 91, around 1984, Mona, his wife, uh, Scherter's wife, and I had the opportunity to spend several hours with him in his home in Pasadena to visit and further report on the work he had commissioned us to do. We were to report directly back to him. He talked freely of the mighty work God had given him to accomplish. He wanted to tell us there was yet a bigger work still to be done, to go again and repeat what has been done, but with more power and a stronger warning just before the work of the two witnesses would begin. He said it would be a short work, Romans 9, compared with the longer time to complete the work he'd been given, and it would be cut short. That's when the Great Tribulation would begin, as would the work of the two witnesses. This would last three and a half years. Now, Herbert Armstrong's part of the work lasted over 50 years. And he seemingly felt that the short work would be much shorter than his. And you know what? He was right. Now, Herbert Armstrong's wife, Loma, Loma Dillon Armstrong, Loma D. Armstrong, she had a dream, which had two parts pertaining to the proclamation of the gospel. Herbert Armstrong believed it was a dream from God, and he fulfilled the first part of that dream. But that left the second part to be fulfilled after his death, and that's related to the short work and to the continuing church of God. Now, I'd like to read something that Herbert Armstrong wrote in 1985 in his book, The Mystery of the Ages. In these last days, according to biblical prophecy, knowledge, spiritual as well as material, was to be increased. The true church of God was to be set back on the track, restoring the glorious knowledge of the faith once delivered to the saints in the days of the original apostles. And that is precisely what we in the continuing church of God have been doing. Furthermore, we are unique. Not only have we restored more information about the history of the true Christian church and other doctrines, we are unique in our emphasis on how Satan plans to use signs and lying wonders and private Greco-Roman Catholic prophecies to deceive. And that last point was well known to the old Radio Church of God who put articles about it back in the early 1960s. 
but this knowledge seems to be lost or de-emphasized by uh, other groups at this time. Now Joseph Sikratz Sr., who I also met and knew, was appointed by Herbert Armstrong to be his uh, successor. Less than a month after Herbert Armstrong's death, Joe Tkach made the following statements. So the foundation was laid, we'll get to that in just a second, the superstructure is more related to it, and that's what we've been doing in the Continuing Church of God. Now, continuing, here's something else uh, that uh, uh, related to Joe Tkach. He said, Mr. Herbert Armstrong has laid a very solid foundation. The thing that remains to be done and completed is the superstructure, is that superstructure. We're now in the process of building that spiritual building, Pastor General uh, Joseph Tkach told more than uh, 55 festival coordinators. So Joe Tkach Sr. seemed to consider that his job was supposed to build a superstructure on the foundation that the Philadelphia era had laid. But sadly, as I think most of you know, Joe Tkach not only failed to do that, he turned against it and he tried to destroy the foundation. Now, while many of the groups that formed after the Tkach apostasy didn't turn strongly against the foundation, like the two Tkach administrations, his, uh, Tkach's son took over after his death in 95, they failed to build the superstructure. Meaning what? They didn't make substantial growth in restoring the details of the truth that the Philadelphia portion had on matters such as church history, doctrine, and prophecy. They failed in those aspects of training, hence preventing most of their membership to be properly trained to instruct many on those issues before Jesus returns. Now, I'd like to quote something from the late uh, evangelist uh, uh, John O'Gwen. He and I used to chat from time to time. And he wrote, the final phase of church history. The Church of Philadelphia is characterized by a zeal to do the work. Satan has sown confusion and discouragement. The gospel will be preached to the world in this end time, Matthew 24, 14. And there is a growing assembly of believers that is both zealous for the full truth and zealous to finish God's work. Just as God's people have had to do from the first century onward, so his people today must Quote, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3. God states clearly, quote, He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, Romans 9.28. Who will He use to do it? According to Daniel 11.32, it's the people who know their God who will be strong and carry out great exploits. The faithful of the Philadelphia remnant are the ones that John O'Gwen was referring to for the time of the end. Now, Satan does have a plan to confuse. And of course, since Philadelphian Christians are to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered, having more knowledge about what the original faith was makes such contending much more effective. That's part of why knowledge of church history is part of the final phase of the work. 
Now, Herb Armstrong mentioned about languages. We, in the Continuing Church of God, have been preparing the short work by establishing multiple websites in multiple languages while researching and making available information on church history, doctrine, and prophecy while proclaiming Christ's gospel king of the world as a witness. We have our beliefs online in many languages, our statement of beliefs. But we have over 106 languages right now available regarding to the gospel kingdom of God. We've also had our Bible News Prophecy magazine translated into 14 languages so far. Now, you might find this of interest. I gave a sermon in New Zealand in May of 2015 titled The Short Work, where I mentioned the need to build up a database of materials in multiple languages. I had no idea that God would greatly start to open that door in the fall of that year. And we would have translations now in 106 languages. It appears that the continuing Church of God has more literature in more languages than any known Church of God in history. And that seems necessary in order to fulfill what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14 and Matthew 28, 19 through 20. In the book of Daniel, chapter 11, persecution is mentioned. And starting around verse 30, much of this persecution looks to be directed against the Philadelphian Christians. One of the reasons is that the Philadelphians are going to be leading the final phase of the work. We're going to identify the king of the north and reveal some of his plans. And that's going to result in much of the world temporarily shifting attention towards a church that's doing that. Many people will wonder... And Philadelphian Christians will need to answer questions. Now in 1 Peter uh, 3 verse 15, I'm going to read this from the Old King James. Peter wrote, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh of you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, that ability of course is needed in all ages. But let's go to Daniel chapter 11. I'm going to read uh, verses 32 and uh, 33 from two different translations. Verse 32 I'm going to read from the ESV. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. The reason I use this particular translation is great exploits isn't in the, the Hebrew. I'll go back to the uh, New King James, verse 33. And those the people who understand shall instruct many God's people are going to be persecuted, but will be warning the world. Now, I'd like to read something that the old Radio Church of God published about this. This is from uh, uh, 1960, old Good News magazine from uh, Leroy Neff. Daniel prophesied, The people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits, Daniel 11.32, understand such a statement can only refer to God's people. Now notice what follows. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many that they shall fall by the sword, by flame, by captivity, by spoil many days. Here's a brief summary of how God's church has been persecuted throughout the centuries. Some commentators incorrectly applied this to the Jews. But it cannot refer to the Jewish people of our day. The Jews do not know their God, nor do they understand, nor do they instruct many in the way of God. 
This prophecy concerns God's church. Now sadly, many have lost knowledge of that. Now my prior organization one time did mention this in a Bible study, but they didn't do anything about it. And this is going to be fulfilled within the, within the next decade or so, I think not too many years actually from now. So people need to prepare to do this. How are the Philadelphians going to be able to do this if they're not prepared? So let's go to uh, the book of Matthew. I want to read something that uh, Jesus said. This would be Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 18. Notice that the Holy Spirit is going to assist according to Jesus. But you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you shall speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it's not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now I want to read something similar in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 9, will also read Jesus' words. But watch out for yourselves, for they deliver you up to councils, and you'll be beaten in the synagogues. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached in all, to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak, for it's not you that speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Now, brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, does that mean we have no part to play? No. The Holy Spirit will bring things to mind. Now, I'm going to go to John chapter 14, starting verse 25. I'm going to read this from the uh, AFV, because it gets the gender right here. John 14, starting verse 25. Because the Holy Spirit is going to bring to mind things you studied and assist you with your wording. Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you while I am yet present with you. But when the Comforter comes, even the Holy Spirit, which the Father will send in my name, that one shall teach you all things and shall bring to your remembrance everything I have told you. We need to be prepared to answer like, like Peter wrote. And those Holy Spirits can bring things to remembrance. Okay? Remind you of things. What kind of things? Things you've learned. Now, I want to read something from the Apostle Paul. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Actually, it's verse 15 here. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I want to read this from the Old King James now. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that not that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Bible is the word of truth. Christians need to study diligently, which includes not only reading the Bible, paying attention to sermons, but also uh, to church literature. One of the reasons for that is that the Bible, parts of the Bible are not always easy to understand. And Peter pointed this out in 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, 
looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Also, as also in his epistles, speaking to them these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist even their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Notice again, someone's supposed to be diligent, so they're not going to be moved by untaught and unstable people. This also means that God's people need to be taught. Continuing with Peter, this time verse 17, 2 Peter 3, we need to learn. You therefore, brethren, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the knowledge, the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. One does not grow in grace and knowledge without growing in knowledge. Peter also wrote, 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to start reading verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christians are to add knowledge, at least partially, so we will not be unfruitful. We go to Colossians 1, starting verse 9. See, the Apostle Paul wrote about this as well. For this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The knowledge is to be used to be fruitful and not just for your own sake. That is being fruitful. By being fruitful, you assist in reaching many by by the church, and possibly also by yourself. As Jesus taught in Mark 4, verse 20, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Are you one that the seed was sown on good ground? Let's go to Acts chapter 8. In addition to Christians studying the Word of God on their own, this is part of why there's a ministry. God has a ministry. Acts 8, starting verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury to come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. 
Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Peter, excuse me, asked Philip to come and sit with him. Philip then assisted and he taught the man. Paul wrote about some similar concept in Ephesians 4, starting verse 11. And he himself, as Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is ahead Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Yes, the ministry helps people be able to speak the truth in love. Now that books are more widely available than they were in New Testament time, books for ministers can also help in assisting, teaching, end-time Christians. Non-Philadelphians will not know enough to instruct many in this age. That doesn't mean God will not use any of them to do some. And yes, of course, they'll teach people during the millennium. But their lack of knowledge on church history, uh, how various uh, heresies d- developed, and proper prophetic understand, is going to prevent most non-Philadelphians from fulfilling the instruct many prophecy in, in, uh, in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 11. Now, because of what some people be interested in will be a bit historical, to them unique, we wrote a variety of books, and these books are part of the preparation for the short work. Now, it, this has, has multiple applications of Scripture I'm about to read. But in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8, it says, The end of a thing is better than its beginning. In the end time, the end of the short work is going to be better than its beginning. And we, in the continuing Church of God, are still preparing for that end now. In Revelation 9, verse 7, the Apostle John was inspired to record, quote, The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. It's the Philadelphia portion of the church that best represents the wife. We are working to help our members, and not just the ministry, to be made ready for the short work to instruct many. If you're willing to be used by God and will support the true Philadelphia remnant leader, God may well have you instruct many, either directly or at least indirectly. Now, in addition to different languages and and websites for different regions of the world, we're producing materials to reach people of different belief uh, systems. I'd like to read something from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all, that I may might win the more. 
and to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now I do this for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker with you. And uh, we go down to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God. As far as Jews and the other descendants of Israel, we're proclaiming the Ezekiel warning to reach the Greeks and the other Gentiles. Uh, we're reaching them and realize that the full fullness of the Gentiles is going to come. As far as the Church of God goes, we have dozens of articles explaining how the different groups differ from the original faith. It's not giving offense to encourage them to, quote, contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. But I've had people in various Church of God groups object to what I've written uh, about their church, and I basically said, you don't want me to quote your own materials? And I've had several of them don't want people to know how they differ from us by me quoting what they've published either on the internet they publish it or put it in their booklets or their letters or whatever. Now, 1 Corinthians 9, we read that Paul showed he was willing to tailor his message to reach more people in different groups. And that's what we in the Continuing Church of God have been doing. It's one of the reasons we have I have the cogwriter.com website. Then we've got the ccog.org website. One of the reasons we've done radio interviews. Uh, we've got magazines. We have a daily uh, e-zine e newsletter from Cogwriter. Uh, of course, we have sermon channels and sermonette channels, uh, including the, the animation ones. And to reach people interested in prophecy, I've got Cogwriter, plus I've done various commercial books, which also helps get us on the radio. Now, to reach people with a Sabbath-keeping background, in 2020, uh, we acquired cg7.org and put up various materials and did some sermon messages, etc. And that site's actually named Church of God's Seventh-day Sabbatarian Christians. It's intended to reach people who wonder about the Sabbath as well as those who want to know the differences between various groups who keep the Sabbath. Um, it's got information on history and uh, doctrinal matters. It's got dozens of articles on Churches of God and non-Church of God groups that keep the Seventh-day Sabbath. Now, for those of a Protestant background, uh, we've put this book out, and any book that I hold out, we will uh, is available at the ccg.org website. They're free. We don't ask for, as you know, for email address or money or anything. People just go and read this. This is probably the most documented book on differences between Protestants and uh, Church of God group, in this particular case, the Continuing Church of God, that's been done in, uh, throughout Church of God history. At least I've not seen any, and I'm unaware if someone's got something more comprehensive than this, I'd be interested to know. Why a book like this? To tell Protestants, look, we're not like, for example, it talks about we're not like the Seventh-day Baptists, Seventh-day Adventists, etc. But also explain to them, look, you claim sola scriptura. 
here's why we don't think you keep it we think we do. We can prove that we do by quoting the scripture. And by the way, in terms of history, early church writers had Church of God beliefs, at least the ones we consider to be saints. None were, were Protestant in orientation, and the one who the Protestants sometimes hold to is an absolute apostate and heretic. And some of his quotes are in here to prove this, the Protestants. So they claim that they're interested in knowing the truth in the Bible. This book is for them, to help reach them, specifically to help reach them, as one of the groups. We also did a bunch of series of, uh, of sermons on various topics in order to reach Protestants or, or those who are somewhat interested in Protestantism. What about atheists? A lot of people are atheists. That's growing and growing. Well, we put out a book, Is God's Existence Logical? Explains why the current so-called scientific explanation of a creation without a creator makes no sense. Or a universe popping up out of nothing makes no sense. It also goes into about life forming and how the explanations that fraudulent scientists are push, putting forth are invalid. As a matter of fact, on the back, we have a quote from a Nobel Prize winning scientist who basically says that the view of not involving God is impossible. Yet he believes it anyway, which is absurd. So this is to help reach uh, atheists and others who are wondering. But we, in addition to this, we also have uh, animations uh, on this as well, to, again, to reach atheists or people who question whether or not there's a God. Okay. What about uh, one other thing for, for atheists? It's also, uh, we did this to uh, also possibly reach uh, the Jews is what at the time was the uh, thickest book I put out. We put out, I'd written, that I'd written and we put out, Proof Jesus is Messiah. Now this book has parts that if atheists would read it, this would prove to them that Jesus is Messiah. But in addition to that, in addition to that, there's uh, sections explaining to the Jews why they should believe that Jesus is Messiah. And also, uh, there's some in here for Muslims. Why Muslims should believe Jesus is Messiah. And of course, for Protestants and Catholics, Roman Catholics or Eastern Orthodox or anybody who wants to know whether or not Jesus is Messiah or can you prove it. And this book helps do that. And it, again, one of the things it does, specifically does target Jews and atheists. And what about the... Uh, Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholics, or people interested in early church history. Well, we have another book called Beliefs of the Original Catholic Church. Now, if you were not raised Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, you may not realize this, but they believe that uh, they should use a combination of scripture and early tr traditions of the church for their beliefs. Well, the early traditions, if you will, are supposed to be based on what the apostles told the earliest followers uh, the successors to them. Well, as it turns out, uh, the, the ones that we in the Continuing Church of God consider to be saints, which are also, by the way, considered to be saints by the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholics, taught Church of God doctrine, not some doctrines that are currently held by the Greco-Roman 
Catholic churches. As a matter of fact, their churches have condemned statements that people they call saints made. Even the death penalty for people who believed what early Christians believed. Of course, there's a lot of things going on in the Greco-Roman churches, and people wonder about their churches should read this. Because it explains, again, what were the beliefs of the early church, and who the original Catholics really were, and what happened to the name, and all this kind of a thing. But again, this is part of our plan to reach others. There's like about a billion and a half Catholics, and about a half a billion uh, Protestants, so we're tailoring, tailoring information about it. But in sermons, we've been teaching our people. We've done a sermon series, we've been doing a sermon series on the beliefs of the original Catholic Church. We did a sermon series covering the Protestant book, which I held up a moment ago, I can hold this up again, to help better reach uh, Protestants, but also to help teach our people so they can instruct many. Now, in another book, people have questions about the Bible. We have a book, Who Gave the World the Bible? And we go into various things to deal with false scholarship in modern times. The false scholarship does not believe the original church had the books of the Bible or knew what the New Testament was from the time of the, of the death of the Apostle John the present. But this book lays it out. It also lays out why other books were not in there uh, because they came later. It explains which manuscripts are best, stuff about different translations, etc. One of the reasons for this, however, is also to better reach the Greco-Romans and Protestants. The Church of Rome claims they gave the world the Bible. But they, they like to say, well, where did they get this information? They believe they gave the Bible through a doctor and saint of their church called Jerome. But where did he get the information? Did he not go down and talk to uh, Christians and Jews in the uh, Judea of Palestine area? So he got a lot of information from the Church of God who had maintained a chain of custody over the books. Whereas if you go through and look at the details, you can find out the, the Greco-Roman Protestants did not. They included books they shouldn't have included, did not include books they should have included. And that's laid out here. And this is foundational. And we did a sermon series on this as well. So we want you to be able to instruct many. Now, we put out this booklet. The Mystery of God's Plan. Why did God create anything? Why did God make you? First, I should mention, we've restored more truth about this than uh, was restored earlier in the Philadelphia era. Parts of it were restored. And when I talked to people who were around the old Radio Church of God uh, and uh, then Worldwide Church of God, they admitted that what we put in here is correct, and the church sort of understood it, but they weren't really teaching it. But we are. God created what he did to make eternity better. God created you to go through everything you're going to go through. So you will be able to uniquely give love in a way to make eternity better for yourself and everyone else. Now this particular booklet explains why things like the beatific vision aren't the way to go but also appeals to uh, Hindus and Buddhists 
So that's another billion, billion and a half people as well to explain God's plan. It's also, of course, for Greco-Roman Protestants, atheists, and everyone else to better understand God's plan. This is a mystery to most. And we've restored various aspects of the truth here. And it's one of the reasons why we have this booklet out. We also have a booklet on the Ten Commandments. You say, well, why does that reach any? Well, we've got different sets of people. People who don't believe you need to keep the Ten Commandments, uh, who are irreligious. People who claim to be religious who do plan to keep them, but reason around them. As well as people who say you don't have to keep them, who are supposed to be religious leaders. This book goes into all of that. Again, any of these books I hold up are available at the www.ccog.org website. Go into the literature tab under books and booklets, and they're there, and they're free. We have gone through this booklet also for our people, as well as this one, to make it so you can instruct many, as well as for your own spiritual growth and education. Now, are you aware of the fact that there are many Roman and Eastern Orthodox prophecies that are directed against the Church of God in the end times. Well, which Church of God? Well, various of them would cover church, any church, many Church of God groups, but there are some that seem to be specific more to something like the continuing Church of God. Specifically, because of our depth and focus on church history and booklets and books related to that, we, more than any other group, are probably the one most specifically warned against. I want to go through several prophecies, so-called, which I believe are demonically inspired, uh, from various Catholic seers, Roman Catholic seers, and sometimes Greek Orthodox. So bear with me as I read uh, through some of these. First is from Anna Catherine Emmerich. Again, I saw in a vision St. Peter's Basilica is in Vatican City, undermined according to a plan devised by the secret sect, whilst at the same time it was damaged by storms, but it was delivered at the moment of great distress. I see new martyrs, not the present, not the present, but the future, but even now they're oppressed. I saw the secret sect, secret society undermining the great church, St. Peter's, and near them a horrible beast that sat out of the sea. Now I want to go to a different one. This is from Elizabeth Conora Mora. God will employ the powers of Hades for the extermination of these impious and heretical persons who desire to overthrow the church and destroy it to its very foundation. God will allow the demons to strike with death those impious men because they gave themselves up to the infernal powers and formed a compact against the Catholic Church. Say, how could you, somebody say you're going at their very foundations? They claim they gave the world the Bible, therefore they are the ones who can interpret it. And they say church history supports what they believe. We say it supports what we in the continuing Church of God teach. And we can prove it. Read something from uh, uh, Jane Royer. When the Time of the reign of Antichrist is near. A false religion will appear that will be opposed to the unity of God and His Church. This will cause the greatest schism the world has ever known. The nearer the time of the end, the more darkness of Satan will spread on the earth. The greater will be the number of the children of corruption, and the number of just will 
correspondingly diminish. Unity of God? You know what the unity of God, according to Roman Catholics, is? It's the Trinity. So a religion is going to rise up. They're going to call it a new religion that denies the unity of God. We've been called a new religion by Roman Catholics. One of the reasons for a list in this book of leaders from the Apostle Peter to present, uh, we don't have names for all of them, but pretty well, we did, this book has probably got the most complete list of Sabbatarian slash Church of God leaders uh, from uh, Peter to present. At least I've never seen any quite like it. As a matter of fact, I also consulted with uh, or contacted a, a half a dozen, a dozen, a dozen scholars, I think, with Seventh-day Adventist Church, as well as various ones and various churches of God while I was working on this, as well as doing my own research uh, to put this together. But they claim we're a new religion. Why? Because the continuing Church of God declared itself a separate entity uh, from my prior organization in uh, 2012. They say, but at most, uh, maybe you guys trace yourself to Armstrong from the 1930s. And we said, no, we go back further. And they said, oh, no, the new sprang from the Millerite movement in the 1800s. No, we did not. Yet many churches of God believe that they did come from the Millerite movement, or the Millerites were part of them, or some ridiculous thing like that. We don't. We don't have Millerite uh, as in our list. Uh, we also don't go through various Unitarians that various ones go through, nor do we include Protestants who happen to go to church on Saturday. As, as our leaders, as best of my knowledge, we've gone through and try to purge that. So we, as far as I can tell, we have the most complete list, even though I still need to work on it. We'll probably still be updating as we get more and more information. But we can prove that we're not a new religion, but they call us a new religion. Because if they don't call us a new religion, they have to admit that we are contending earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Here's one uh, you might find interesting. The nursing nun of Belay said, All these things shall come to pass once the wicked have succeeded in circulating large numbers of bad books. So they're claiming they're going to have these problems when these so-called bad books are out. And here's something from the Trappist nun of Notre Dame, Des Gardes. Chastisement will come when the large number of bad books have been spread. The Roman Catholics expect something to happen. Satan has told their seers to expect something, expect books. I've been holding up various books that they may think are bad, plus we've got other ones. Here's one from their venerable Bartholomew Holzheiser. When everything has been ruined by war and Catholics are hard-pressed by traitorous co-religionists and heretics, and by the way, according to them, a heretic is one who was baptized Roman Catholic but teaches against it, which would include people such as myself. When the church and her servants are denied their rights, the monarchies have been abolished and the rulers murdered, then the hand of God will work a marvelous change. Apparently impossible, something according to human understanding, will rise a valiant, valiant monarch appointed by God. He'll be Catholic, a descendant of Louis IX, yet a descendant of an imperial German family born in exile who rules supreme in temporal matters. Pope will rule supreme in spiritual matters at the same time. Persecution will cease and justice will reign. Religion seems to be oppressed, but by the changes, the entire kingdoms will be made more firm. The great monarch 
will have special hope of God and be unconquerable. Why do I mention this great monarch prophecy? Because I want to read another one they have. This is from their St. Francis of Paula. By the grace of God Almighty, the great monarch will annihilate heretics and unbelievers. He'll have a great army and angels will fight at his side. He'll be like the sun among the stars. His influence will spread around the whole earth. All in all, they'll be on the earth. Twelve kings, one emperor, one pope, a few princes, and they'll lead holy lives. We know persecution is going to come. There's going to be persecution just prior to the start of the Great Tribulation, and then during the time of the Great Tribulation, most of the Laodiceans will be eliminated. Do they have prophecies about the Sabbatarian, Sabbath keepers? Yes, they do. Here's one from the Eastern Orthodox and their blessed Hieronymus Thagalaios from 1279. Man, now is not the end. I see you're being duped. You're hoping in vain. Sabbatism is against the divine law. You promote the Hebrew Sabbath at the expense of the Christian Sunday. Yet you will not succeed before you become an apostate on behalf of the Sabbath. Before, And lo, behold, an evil assembly of the crafty evening leader dressed in black morning apparel was measured in strength, taking in a hypocritical manner the most holy name of Christ by means of flowering and dissembling speech. So they're... Com- She's complaining, or he's complaining here about somebody keeping the Sabbath and not teaching the, not the, the Greco-Roman line, but instead something else. These were the men who were concealing their impiety under the mask of virtue. Those were the most filthy citizens of t- t- Pentapolis. These are semi-godless men they despise the divine law. They are rapturous wolves in sheep's clothing. They'll have to pay due price before the public executioner of the Sabbateans. You, the inventors of distorted heresies. We are going to be accused of being dis- uh, inventors of distorted heresies. I read the term Pentapolis. Pentapolis means five cities. So it turns out when I first read this particular prophecy, which was, I think, back in 2009... I typed in five cities to, to, to Google, and what came up is the area that I am now in. And as it turns out, that the headquarters of the Continuing Church of God has been in Pentopolis. It was in uh, Arroyo Grande. Now it's in Grover Beach, both of which are part of the five, uh, five cities. And actually, originally, uh, when I first moved here, uh, my family and I were living in Pismo Beach, which is also... Uh, one of the five cities. So I've definitely been a citizen of the Pentapolis for quite a long time, actually. But they've got warnings about this. Now, I want to go read a few more of the uh, Roman Catholic prophecies. Here's one from Elizabeth Canamora again. God will use the powers of darkness in order to root out the followers of the sects and the godless who want to shake and destroy the foundations of the church. They will be punished by the cruelty of demons and die a tragic death. Hereupon the grand triumph of the Catholic Church will follow. So they're teaching that some group's going to go and attack them to their very foundations. That's two examples. And that uh, demons are going to support the Church of Rome to destroy people who teach such things. And even though the Laodiceans don't know all these details, they know some of them as well. 
and they will be uh, persecuted after Philadelphians were. Now, an Eastern Orthodox Saint Andrew, fool for Christ, supposedly said that the remaining ones will be annihilated, they'll be burned to death, they'll die a cruel death. And that's consistent with some other Eastern Orthodox prophecies about Sabbath keepers being killed. Oh, and here's a Roman Catholic one. We go back to Anna uh, Catherine Emmerich. I saw during the last days marvelous things connected with the church. St. Peter's was almost entirely destroyed by the sect, but their labors were, in turn, rendered fruitless. And all that belonged to them, their aprons, their tools, burned by the executioners in the public place of infamy. They were made of horse leather, and the stench of them was so offensive it made me sick. I want to go to uh, Daniel chapter 11, verse 33. You know, the Roman Catholic, Greco-Romans have prophecies against what we're doing or going to be doing. They are consistent sometimes with biblical prophecy. They're mere images. In other words, when the Bible says something's good, they say it's bad and vice versa. For example, Daniel 11.33 says, And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days, it actually should just say for days, the word many is not in there, in the original. They shall fall by the sword and flame by captivity and plundering. And I've read that East North Acts have prophecies they're going to kill Sabbath keepers. And the Roman Catholics have prophecies they're going to burn people that don't agree with their religion. That's consistent. Some of these prophecies, I hope, will let you have further pause to consider how Satan is going to attempt to use them in the future to attempt to discredit those of us in continuing Church of God. Now, who's going to be doing the work? Let's go to Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 40. Beware, lest what's been spoken in the prophets come to you. Behold, you despisers of marvel, you despisers, marvel and perish. I will work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Now, this is related to Habakkuk chapter one, verse five, which I'll also uh, will read. Look among the nations and watch and be astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. I'm trying to tell you it in this behind the works. How is it going to be done? Zechariah 4, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Why? Because it doesn't look like it right now. You see, our church is small. How can we do this? 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. God's spirit has been involved in this work. As most of you know, we, the Continuing Church of God, have the confirmed last day signs of Acts 2, 17, and 18. Understand that much of the work that's being done now is being done by unpaid volunteers around the world who do translations, editing, online radio, flipboard page, con uh, conducting services. And for uh, most articles, booklets, I'm also a volunteer. That doesn't mean... Uh, Ministers shouldn't get paid because they are entitled to. 
But there's an end time warning about uh, shepherds who live off the backs of the tithe payers, if you will. And I'm not one of those, nor is any of the, uh, the ministry in the uh, continuing church of God, uh, and particularly in the United States, that we don't, no one gets paid. Now, I want to read Psalm 33, verse 4. Why is the continuing church of God leading the final phase of the work? Well, other than the fact that we have volunteers like me, so we haven't compromised for money, Psalm 33, verse 4 says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. We need to do God's work in truth. We differ from those who don't have the same love of the truth. Let's go, I'm going to go to Psalm uh, 103, excuse me, 101, verse 3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away, who shall not cling to me. But let's go to Proverbs 11, starting in verse 18. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues his own death. Those who are of a perverse heart of abomination of the Lord, but the blameless in their way are his delight. Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. And this is a concept of why I left my last organization when I found this to be the case. Jeremiah 48.10, curses of he who does the work of the Lord deceitfully. There is a time to do the work. And we're working to prepare you in the continuing church of God. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 17 says, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every purpose under every work. Now I want to go to Isaiah. Isaiah 29, starting verse 13. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as the people draw near to me with their mouths, honoring with their lips, but have removed their heart from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men, therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and wonder, for the wisdom of the wise men, their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent shall be hidden. We're going to go to Isaiah 61, starting verse 6. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Then you shall call upon the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth. And will make them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles, their offspring among the people. All who see shall acknowledge them, that, that they are the posterity of those whom the Lord has blessed. In, in Jeremiah 51, starting in verse 10, the Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Now I want to go to the book of Haggai. Haggai 2, starting in verse 4. Yet be strong, now strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, 
and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word I have covenanted with you, you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts. Once more, it's for a little while, I'll shake the heaven and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all the nations and they will come to desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me to the world, I've also sent them to the world. Truth is not just technical details that non-Christians and Laodiceans want to ignore or discount. The Bible prophesies that God's going to pour out His Spirit in the last days. And God has been intervening in the continuing Church of God with dreams and prophecies. If you're not part of the Church of Continuing Church of God, and God is not supernaturally intervening in that way with whoever you're with, what makes you think He's going to do so later? Uh, you know, people in the Continuing Church in the Continuing Church of God have learned about this, and par- partially because of this, can confidently instruct many. Let's go to Revelation 10, verse 10. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. He said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. There's a lot of views of what this might mean. Some suggest that means that God gave messages to Ephesus or elsewhere that weren't recorded in the Bible. I'm going to read a Protestant commentary about this. from Mrs. Gill's exposition. Moreover, this may not be so much design God John's prophecy prophesying in person as the prophesying of the witnesses or the ministers of his word in several periods of time whom God whom John personated and represented. Uh, in Barnes notes pretty, pretty much is the same thing. The direct address is to John himself is evidently not to be understood to him personally, of him personally. It's been done before, that is supposed to be a time of reformation it could be said and that this has been done before the gospel had been the former times proclaimed in purity before many peoples uh, nations tongues and kings and that it could be done again that through the word of God had been hidden and the mass of corrupt traditions had taken its place yet the time would come when those pure truths would be made known again to all lands this would explain the word again in this place not meaning that John would do it personally but be the restoring Restoration of the Bible to the Church, which we have book talks about that. You know, in Matthew 21, uh, starting in verse 42, we read, And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures a stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the nation bearing fruits. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whoever it falls, grind him into powder. The Jews rejected Jesus, and uh, many reject true Philadelphians in this age. That's why the uh, CCG had to form. Now, is the short work going to be uh, supported by a lot of the elite? Well, probably not. If you read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it doesn't mean we won't get some. 
For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, as it's written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, Jesus taught that God could raise stones to cry out. So that means God can use regular people as well. I want to read something that uh, from Luke chapter 3, verse 8. John the Baptist taught, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. If I say to you, God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. Now, if you're in Luke, I'm going to go to Luke 19, starting in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees called him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, Jesus isn't lifeless, but certainly stones are. Many of us were essentially lifeless. Some left the Church of God for years. Some followed heretical leaders. Relatively few had much involvement in truly being part of the work of Matthew 24, 14, Matthew 28, 19-20. Some seemed odd, didn't fit in. Anyway, if you support the short work, don't be offended by the stone analogy, because Jesus even used it about himself. God can use you. God warned Noah about the great flood, and he told him to prepare in Genesis chapter 6. And Noah did. It took many years. Some think it was like maybe a hundred or so. He had to acquire materials and make plans, and he constructed the ark. But the rain itself only lasted 40 days. The total time he and his family were in the ark was just under 11 months. But if Noah and his family hadn't prepared for the short work involving surviving the flood, humanity would have died out unless God intervened another way. As part of the preparation, we in the Continuing Church of God also read the book of the law every seven years as instructed in Deuteronomy 31, 10 through 13, so you'll know. We've also done sermon series covering every word that the New Testament shows Jesus said. We covered the entire books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and what Jesus said in Acts, I think it's the Corinthians, and Revelation. Not many Christians are in churches that are doing that, despite the biblical commands. Many have discounted uh, doctrine uh, that way, uh, for, in terms of preparation, is also errors on prophecy. Now, statement of beliefs of the continuing Church of God says, part of our mission is, to be examples and educated witnesses to the world in general, as well as other Christians. And Daniel 11.33, by the way, is one of the scriptures in there, and we're working on that. For thousands of years, Christ has been waiting for the world to get a witness to the gospel of the kingdom. It's going to happen, and the end will come. What does God's word teach about reaching many, and who will instruct many? Well, the most faithful. I'm going to read Daniel 11 again. Cutting in the middle of verse 32. The people who know their gods will be strong and carry out great exploits, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many. That's part of why you need Bible study, why you need to hear from sermons and sermonettes, why we need church literature. 
You need to know more about doctrine, prophecy, and church history. It's also why you should attend the Feast of Tabernacles. We, the Canadian Church of God, are leading what I've termed the final phase of the work. And the most faithful have their part in it, and we're trying to prepare you now. You know, as Christians, we're to preach the gospel of the kingdom, all the world's a witness for the end to come, and to make disciples of all the nations. And this involves being able to reach people in multiple languages. And ultimately, we're going to have people from various ones, all of them, or nearly all of them, as it says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and the Lamb. And this is not an entirely new concept in the New Testament. We go to Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom be one which will not be destroyed. So therefore it makes sense to have materials in whatever languages God opens up to us. Translators and editors are helping us prepare for the short work. God will have Philadelphians instruct many. That's why we have the literature that we have. That's why we're getting our websites in preparation, not only for those that we can reach now, but those we can reach during the short work. We will reach billions directly or indirectly. The reason we've had the sermons that we've had, reasons that we have the books and booklets that we have. Will you support the short work? Will you be among those who will support many? Because that's what we've been, instruct many, that's what we've been doing in Continuing Church of God. And I hope you understand this behind the works, why we're doing some of what we're doing, and why God can use you in ways perhaps you've never thought of before. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.